Welcome to Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. Here we explore the training and development of America's leaders in the application of air power and the profession of arms. The views expressed are those of the hosts and do not reflect the official policy or position of the United States Air Force, Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. The mention of companies by name is solely for the purpose of discussion and should not be implied as endorsement. Welcome back to another episode of Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. I'm Colin Slade. And I'm Reed Gann, and we're your hosts for Commission Ed. Colin, happy Veterans Day. Happy Veterans Day, Reed. So on this day of days, the 11th day of the 11th month, we celebrate... At the 11th hour. At the 11th hour, yes. Uh, we celebrate veterans everywhere for the sacrifices that they have given to our nation. Stems from some neat traditions over in the UK, Colin. I was there last year for Veterans Day. Some really neat things go on. But I think Wait, what happens... do the Brits like, celebrate Veterans Day too? Absolutely. I did not know this. They call it Armistice Day. And it's really beautiful. I think they do a bang-up job. The poppy plays a very central role in Armistice Day, commemorating the end of World War I. The, the red flower worn on the lapel, right? Okay. Yes. They do a lot of really lovely celebrations. It was fun to be a part of and to observe while I was over there, that beautiful tradition. I think the tradition over here... No surprise, it tends to be a little bit more commercial. And so on this day, what you will see is national restaurant chains everywhere and big box retailers offering significant discounts to veterans and members of the Department of Defense or former members everywhere going to get a free steak. And that kind of made us think, we haven't really talked about a little bit more of the practical side of being an Air Force officer, and that's the money. Paying benefits. Yeah, and we talk all the time about how this isn't a job, it's a profession, but there wouldn't be very many people who wanted to do it if there were some compensation for their efforts, their time, and the sacrifices that they, they have to make. Yeah, I agree with you. Let's have a conversation about the money aspect, what service members, Air Force officers can expect to be paid, and some of the other benefits that they can expect to receive as part of their service in the Air Force. Yep. And our listeners will recall from my story on how I joined the Air Force, paying benefits was a significant driver in that. It was the height of the economic recession in early 2008, and I was needing to find a source of income. So it's absolutely something we need to talk about. So on this Toolbox episode, paying benefits. Colin, why don't you lead us off? Yeah, absolutely. First thing that we need to understand just very briefly is where does our paycheck come from. First off, we are employees of the federal government. And so our pay is controlled by Congress because they control the purse strings, right? Yep. hundred percent. And so we've already had discussions about in our episode about managing resources, a little bit about the process, about how a bill becomes a law. And in this case, the National Defense Authorization Act, that's where pay and benefits is outlined in federal code. Yep. And the NDAA is revisited and passed every single year. And that usually includes some sort of increase in the base pay and the basic allowance for subsistence. And we'll get into what these different pays and allowances mean. 
But usually members of the armed forces can expect some sort of small increase in their pay on an annual basis. Yep. And all of this is pretty publicly available. Unlike a lot of companies that kind of keep their compensation packages and pay rates close hold and is not exactly public, you can absolutely Google military pay charts and it is going to tell you for what year, for what rank, for how much time you spend in the service, this is how much you're going to get paid. Yeah, it was actually an interesting change of pace for me when I came off active duty both times and was getting new employment and the conversation around pay and benefits came up and was very directly told, do not discuss this with anybody else. And I'm like, why? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's a very different thing. I could probably figure out within $100 per month what anybody in the service is making if I have just a little bit of details about them. So yes, you can absolutely Google this. I will put some links in the show notes to some places that you can look this stuff up. Yeah. So not only could you potentially figure out what somebody else is making, which you know, I don't know why you would want to do that. It really doesn't make much difference, but especially you could f- figure out what your career could be worth over you know, however long you plan to serve and use that in the calculus to make your decision whether or not you want to serve or whether you want to keep serving. Exactly. So something you mentioned at the top is there are two kinds of general funds, I guess, that come to the member every month. And they're in two different categories. So you have pay, then you have allowances. Why don't you break down the differences between those, Colin? Yeah, it's actually a really important difference between these two because pay is taxable. It is considered taxable income by the federal government. And even though you are receiving your pay because of other people's taxes, thank you, America, you are going to be taxed again on that part of your income. However, allowances are non-taxable. There are all kinds of different allowances that we will explore here, and it is possible that they could make up a very big part of your paycheck. And it's important to understand that part of your compensation is non-taxable. You will not pay any sort of taxes on it. Yeah, and that makes filing taxes a little complicated but we'll just leave it at that. Taxes can get a little bit interesting once you're in the military, but... Oh, man, uh, I didn't even think about filing taxes and having that be part of this. But we're not going to touch that. Yeah, and I think this will be a little bit of a consistent theme, and so I think it's good to highlight and bring it out at the beginning. This is a big topic, and we're not going to have the time to go into the nitty-gritty depth on every little thing, Uh, but it's definitely something to pay attention to. We're going to definitely get you started, give you a lot of the big rocks, and then encourage our audience to go from there. So the first one we're going to talk about is base pay. And this is what I think most people think about when they think of, quote, how much do you make? That is what this pay is most closely aligned with. It's based on your pay grade and how much time you've been in the service and how much time you've been in that specific pay grade. It's pretty straightforward to look up. Like I said, you can Google this and there's a nice little chart. You just find the rank where you are and then you look at the rank and then you see time and service. You just go over to that column and then there's a nice little container that will show you how much that you can expect to get every month. Yeah, it makes it super easy. As we were mentioning before, it takes a lot of the mystery and angst around what people are paid out of the conversation. And it it really just doesn't come up because it's so simple. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty straightforward. It's pretty nice to have that assurance that you can look it up at any time and, and know exactly where you stand. Yeah. And also just want to reiterate that this base pay does uh, typically increase on an annual basis. And if you want to get an idea of what that increase is going to be, follow what's going on with the NDAA and what's going on with Congress and in uh, approving that. But whatever that pay increase is, will be effective on January 1st of the coming year. Yep. And it may even come up in the news every once in a while, depending on how, what channels you're listening to and paying attention to. Military pay and benefits is used as a talking point for our politicians. Yep. So the next part of your paycheck is the basic allowance for subsistence. And this is an allowance, not a pay. And so this is a non-taxable part of your paycheck. And Every officer, regardless of their pay grade, time in service, time in grade, or anything like that, will get the exact same amount, which currently for 2020 is $256.68. Yep. And the whole intent of this is to pay for the subsistence of the military member. So what are we talking about? It's like food money. This is big boy milk money, Colin. Right. Yeah. And we should say that not only officers get this, but all enlisted and warrant officers will receive it as well. All members of the military receive it. However, the enlisted receive a higher amount. And why is that, Reed? Tradition. I so desperately wanted to break into song there, but I decided not to. <laughs> Slightly different culture, but you know, the, the idea still holds. Yes. Tradition that... It has been the heritage of the Western military for ages that officers pay their own way. And, and so they are going to receive less in this benefit while the enlisted are, are taken care of by the military. And so they receive a higher amount for their basic allowance for subsistence. All right. The next and probably the most volatile part of your compensation package, Colin, is the basic allowance for housing or BAH. Reed, that's a very interesting term. Volatile? volatile? Why yes. would you use volatile to describe BAH? So the intent of BAH is to offset the costs of housing. It's not meant to completely cover it. There's actually a percentage that is written into the regulation. I don't recall exactly what it is at the moment. A high 90s, but it's supposed to account for what it costs to live someplace. And as we know, depending on where you live, every zip code is going to have very different housing requirements. So for example, when we lived in Hawaii, a second lieutenant with dependents, and we'll talk about that in a moment, got nearly $4,000 a month in order to pay for housing. The BAH in West Texas, where we were at for tech school, was almost a quarter of that. You can't count on your BAH to be very consistent other than it's going to arrive. So your BAH is based off of the zip code of your duty location, not where you choose to live, and also on your marital status and if you're married to another military member and if you have dependents. So those are all those things get boiled up and calculated into your BAH. Yeah, so that's why you use the word volatile because there, there's so many factors that play into how BAH is calculated and it will change quite frequently as you move to different assignments over the course of your career. 
It can even change in the assignment. The Department of Defense will do periodic reviews to determine if all of their gonculators with respect to a specific location are appropriate. If the housing market, for example, in an area has crashed and they determine that the current BAH is too high, they can and will and have lowered BAH right in the middle of an assignment. And it's something you have to just be tracking a little bit more than some of your other pay and allowances. Yeah. For the same reason, you may actually find that you get an increase in your BAH because housing prices are going up. Yep. Word to the wise, though, it always seems to be trailing the market by a couple of years. So yeah, just something to be aware of. And again, it's dependent on the zip code of your duty location. And if you have dependents, you're going to get an increased rate. And that makes sense, right? If you're a bachelor, bachelorette, you don't need as much physical house as if you do if you have a wife and three or four kids. So that makes sense. And something that I just thought of that maybe we should have inserted earlier is that these different pays and benefits that we're talking about are coming from the active duty perspective. The guard and the reserve will also receive these different pays and allowances, but it's all prorated based on the amount of time that they are on orders and actively serving over the course of a month. And in order to receive the BAH benefit, you have to be on orders for at least 30 days. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up, Colin. I appreciate it. So the next one that we're going to talk about is another allowance, and this is caused, called COLA, or the cost of living allowance. It's really similar to BAH, meaning it's based on geography. And this is meant to offset living expenses when you're living in a pretty crazy expensive location. Honolulu, Hawaii, definitely qualified. And so do other locations overseas like London or Singapore or Tokyo, but also places in the United States where it costs a lot more to just live on the day-to-day, such as downtown Los Angeles or Manhattan, New York. Exactly. And so for most active duty who are living CONUS, that one's not too common, to be honest, but it is out there. So just something to pay attention to. And Reed, again, have we defined CONUS and OCONUS? No, I don't think we have. And I think that's a good idea. So CONUS, continental United States. So we're talking the lower 48. And OCONUS is everything that is not that. Okay. So that includes Alaska? Correct. Alaska is considered an OCONUS assignment, as is Hawaii. Puerto Rico, Guam, the the U.S. territories are considered Mm -hmm. OCONUS, as well as all of the overseas foreign countries where members of the military may be serving. Exactly. And that matters a bunch when you're moving, pay rates, all sorts of things. There's all sorts of different rules, depending on if you're CONUS or OCONUS. The vast majority of members will move CONUS to CONUS. All that kind of stuff matters. So yes, good idea for us to identify that. Great. So coming up next is a category of pay called special and incentive pay. So each of the ones that we're about to share with you are considered pay, so they are taxable. And you will receive them based on various different career fields or assignments that you may be involved with. And so you may not receive them all the time, but if you qualify for them, you want to make sure that you are receiving these different pays. The most frequently used incentive pay, at least in the Air Force, is called Aviation Career Incentive Pay, or ACID. 
or more typically known as flight pay. Yep. Everybody that you see wearing a zipper suit is probably at some point getting uh, some sort of incentive pay for being an aviator. Yeah. And it's a retention tool. It's called out in the name. It's an incentive because the aviation related career fields, they are central and, and critical to what we do in the family business, right? Of projecting air power. And we need people who have been through the training pipeline for these different career fields to stay in and continue to provide those effects. And part of that is being given this aviation career incentive pay or ASIP. The amount is dependent on your time in service and will increase over time. But one thing that I want to highlight here is that 10 years in service is the peak of this pay. And then after that, it starts to go down. Yeah, this is also something that is regularly visited as a tool to use. Is it working? Is it not? Do we Are we compensating them enough? Are we not? So this one's also a little volatile. I think it tends to change and go up and down depending on our needs. So the next one that we're going to talk about is hazard duty pay. This is $150 a month for those who are doing high risk jobs or in high risk, high risk locations. And similar to hazardous duty pay is another category called hostile fire pay or imminent danger pay where you are being compensated for living and working under the threat of being shot at. Yeah, most often this is given when you're deployed. You know, if you're going forward to fight our nation's wars, this is an incentive that has been given to the members of the military who do that for their service. Yeah, so you're going to see these types of pay most likely in a combat zone and related to combat zones. Anytime that you are assigned to an active combat zone, one that has been identified and declared by the Department of Defense as a combat zone, your base pay and other types of pay are then going to be considered non-taxable. Awesome. So Colin, I think those kind of wrap up like the biggest chunks of the most consistent things that our members uh, are eligible for, but we've only scratched the surface. This list can just go on and on. Yeah, literally, as you and I are talking right now, we've got our notes pulled up and we're feverishly typing in other things that we're like, oh, we need to talk about this. Oh, we need to talk about this. We obviously can't cover everything, but there's a few more things that we feel like are important to bring up here to our audience so that you are aware of the bigger picture of the compensation package that you can expect to receive. Yep. And as is with all things, when there's just too much to cover, guess what? There's actually an entire career field of people dedicated to helping you with this. So if you have questions, go talk to finance. They are pros and you really got to make friends with them because they're going to be able to help you out and get to the bottom of this, not only for you, but also for your airmen. All right. So the first one is leave. And Colin, this is a really nice thing to have. We get 30 days of paid time off a year. Which is unheard of in the private industry, by the way. Yes. I should clarify that. There are various different uh, corporations that are now choosing to go with an unlimited paid time off policy, but let's be honest, it, that doesn't come anywhere close to what members of the military receive for their paid time off or their leave. Yeah. And these 30 days do not account for the myriad of federal holidays or military down days or family days that are given from commanders often to bridge, like a one-day holiday, you'll often get another day tacked on. So 
this is something that I think people don't necessarily account for when they're doing their calculus. And something I've heard many veterans say was hard when they went to the civilian world was how much more time they were required to work. I can definitely attest to that. Yeah. So you accrue 2.5 days per month. It's independent of pay grade or time and service from the day you join as an E1 to the day you leave as an O10. You get the same number of days a year. And there's a nice little tool online called LeaveWeb. Put in the request, it gets approved, disapproved, and you move on. Yep. And the Air Force actually wants you to use it. <clears throat> yes. Commanders are held to account. If their folks are not using their leave, that is a black mark on commanders because it's seen as a sign that they're not taking care of their people. Yeah. Because we are required to do some pretty intense and demanding things as part of our profession, and using your leave is going to help you to rejuvenate and maintain that resiliency that's needed to be successful as you continue to serve. Perfect. So another one is per diem. So anytime you travel and are away from your duty location for a work purpose, so this can be a deployment, this can be a work trip to meet a unit and collaborate on some effort or you're sent away for an exercise, any number of reasons you're sent away, you're going to be entitled to some form of compensation to help you offset those costs, right? So you're going to get some money to pay for a room. You're going to have some money for some small incidentals and then food. And those are like the three big categories that kind of make up what your per diem looks like. With the room, how much you're going to get paid on a TDY can get com complicated pretty quickly. But just really briefly, if government quarters are available, you're required to use them and you're not going to get as much for your room and as if you are on the economy. We'll talk about some other things and some hints and tips when we talk about travel. But with meals, you're usually going to cover what three meals eating at a restaurant would cover. And this is, again, calculated on a ton of factors. And uh, pro tip, if you're deployed, your per diem is not much. They're taking care of you, so you're not going to get a whole lot of extra money from per diem. Three fifty a day, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So the next couple are things that people aren't thinking about again very often. The thrift savings plan. This is referred to as the TSP. This is what I think a lot of people would consider like their company's 401k. It's a savings method for retirement. It's changed a lot from when we came in, Colin. There didn't used to be any matching from the federal government. Now there is under the blended retirement system. It, but again, you've got all sorts of options and something to think about as you're joining and serving for the long-term health of your financial portfolio. Yeah. We do want to say here that the military, including the Air Force, cares about your retirement benefits, but we're not going to cover that today because there have been some pretty significant changes that are worth addressing, especially when we've got members of the military like you and me, Reed, who are serving under the, the old system. And while at the same time, we've got everybody who's coming in who will be under the new system or the blended retirement system. Uh, it's important enough and complicated enough that we need to address that in a separate episode. Yep. So the next thing we're going to talk about is what's called service group life insurance or SGLI. This is exactly what it sounds like. Life insurance, incredibly good rate. So it's a $400,000 term life insurance policy for only $24 a month. Yeah. Something I want to say about this is 
I've been working with the financial counselor over the last few months, updating my life insurance policies because lots of things have changed in my life recently. And it's good for you to revisit this every once in a while. And when I told him that I'm, I've got this uh, SGLI available and the amount per month that it costs, you can receive up to $400,000 in a policy for $24 a month. And he went to compare that against what's available on the economy. And you can't even come close. This is like the best policy that's out there. Yep. A couple other quick things. A clothing allowance. Every time an officer enters active duty, they get a one-time $400 payment. And then as we've discussed before, tradition holds that the rest of your career Unless it's directly issued to you, officers are required to maintain their own uniforms at their own expense. Yep. While the enlisted receive an ongoing allowance for the maintenance and upgrade of their uniforms. Yep. Uh, And I think the last one we're going to talk about is family separation allowance. Why don't you break this one for us, Colin? Yeah. Sometimes your work will require that you go do these various TDYs or temporary duty yonder or deployments or work trips, or just whatever. And any time that you are gone for more than 30 days, you qualify for this allowance that is just a way to remove the sting a little bit of being separated from your dependents. It is $250 a month, and it is a paid upon approval of a request that includes documentation that shows you have been geographically separated from your dependents for at least 30 days. Awesome. I think that breaks down the biggest and most common. Again, there's no way we could cover everything. If you have questions, go talk to finance. There's a lot going on here. And I think that's a nice segue into the next thing we want to talk about and give our audience a few financial tips and tricks. So the first one I have for our audience is every time you move, a lot of money is going to be moving around. And if you can imagine like a nice, calm day, The water is just nice and calm, right? That's what your pay looks like right before you move. (laughs) Everything is settled. You know exactly what's coming in every month. You know exactly where it's going, and everything's nice and calm. Every time you move, it's like a hurricane rolls through, okay? Waves, water, spray, it like disrupts everything. Let's find the biggest rock around the pond and just toss it in. And then the ripples just, they go, right? (laughs) They just, they really mess everything up. It's going to take a couple weeks, maybe even a couple months until that pay settles down again. And so every time you move, save receipts for everything. Save receipts, make copies, keep emails with correspondence with companies that may have moved your stuff. Whatever it is, be really diligent about saving all your receipts. And also, I would recommend as best as you can not to make any really big purchases within about two or three months of a PCS because it's going to take a couple minutes for things to settle down and you can say exactly how much your pay is. So real quick story, when I joined, I was sent to Patrick Air Force Base and we decided to live on base. When you live on base, they take your entire basic allowance for housing, your BAH, and then they pay for housing. It's nice. You don't have to think about it. You just, you got a house and that's it, right? When I signed the lease, I was under the impression that I was getting like a deal and that my first month was free. 
And so when I got a BAH check in the mail, I was like, oh, awesome. It's, you know, part of me, it, it all made sense. We bought dishwasher, bought a dryer, bought a lawnmower, bought a grill, like we moved. So we bought all this stuff. The next month I got a collections notice from the housing department that went to me and it went to my wing commander. And it said, Lieutenant Gann has not paid his housing allowance. He's not paid rent for two months. And we're going to start collecting on Lieutenant Gann. So it turns out when the nice people had started the lease, first off, that company I started the lease with had gotten fired by the federal government and a new company had taken over. And in the shuffle, my service had been changed from Air Force to Army. And when they were billing the federal government, there was no second Lieutenant Reed Gann in the Army. And it bounced. And so that's not a good note that your wing commander needs to get about you in your second month of service in, in the Air Force. Just, just try to avoid that. So we had the money. We were able to pay two months back rent. But it was a note to me, hold off on the big purchases, save everything. If I would have had a couple more records, things would have been a little bit smoother. But yeah, hint, tip, and trick. When you move, lots of money moving, save everything, and slow your roll when it comes to start spending. Yeah, absolutely. And again, this episode, this information about pay and benefits is not just for you as an officer currently serving or preparing to be one. This information is for your airmen too, that you want to check in with your airmen to make sure that you know, if you see that you've got an airman who is rolling around in a car or something that they clearly cannot afford, maybe check in to see, hey, where's that, that money coming from? Maybe they're receiving BAH when they shouldn't be, right? Yep. All sorts of things like that. Just pay attention and be aware that these transitional periods can be extra touchy and extra difficult for everybody. Which I think leads me really well to my next one that I want to quickly talk about. So as an officer, you need to be careful about how you talk about money around your enlisted counterparts. The difference in pay between an officer and an enlisted member is significant. A second lieutenant with zero experience in the military, on day one, they are going to be making more a month than almost all of their counterparts on the enlisted side, unless that enlisted member has seven or eight years or more. And once an officer has seven or eight years in, they're making more money than all but 1% of the enlisted force. And again, because everybody knows, right? You can go to the table and look it up. You have to be careful about the way you talk about it. So what does that mean? That means, in my opinion, this is Reed talking here. I find it distasteful when in a company of airmen, an officer starts complaining about money. Oh, that's really expensive. Oh, I don't have enough money for this. Oh, I don't have enough money for that. I find that distasteful when I can say that this airman over here is making less than a quarter of what you are. Like, you know that, right? And you're good to complain because they see us and they see dollar bills. We're making a lot of money compared to them. Another thing too is very often we are doing work, especially in my career field as an intelligence officer, our actual day-to-day -day job can oftentimes be extremely similar yet I'm getting compensated at a significantly higher level. And I think you need to earn that. I think you need to earn that difference. So just a couple things. I think an officer should be generous. 
I think it's okay. And I would encourage you to buy things for the office. If they're talking about going and getting pizza for the office, it is my position that I feel that you should think about doing that for the office. Don't flaunt your wealth, but I think you should be generous. It's okay to be frugal. I just don't know that you should complain about it, just given the massive difference in pay. And the last thing, if you think you're having a hard time with money, I want you to think about the airman making a quarter of what you are, who has a wife and a young baby at home. And I want you to think about them. I want you to be the leader that if they looked at you and they know in the back of their mind you're making so much more than them, but they think you've deserved it because the way you treat them, because the way you lead, that's where I think you should be. So that's a little rant. What are your thoughts? Did I go too far, Colin? No, I think that you're hitting it right on the head that obviously we don't want our officers to go and spend themselves silly on you know, every little thing t- taking care of their airmen. Obviously, they need to take care of themselves and their family. But at the same time, they shouldn't be trying to hide the fact that they are compensated so much higher than our enlisted counterparts. And I think you're saying it exactly right. Here, here's a quick example of something that you can see. Let's say there's the annual Air Force ball. Tickets are going to be based on rank. And if you are an officer, you are paying more for your ticket. Don't complain about that. That's the kind of thing that I see that really drives me nuts. Another example is if you're going to take advantage of some, like a, a military hotel, like Shades of Green at Disney World or something like that. How the hotel rates are based on pay grade. And And you will see, because it's publicly called out there, that the enlisted members of the military are going to get the exact same room that you are, but at a far discounted rate compared to you. As they should, based on your pay grade. So yeah, just something I think people need to be aware of. And it's a personal vendetta against those officers out there complaining about their pay. Just gets under my skin. But I will say, Reed... Maybe it's just the the places that I've been and the people I've worked with. I don't see that very often. I think, generally speaking, officers are pretty good about that. Yeah, but, I'll concur. I'll concur. I'm just, there's a couple key... But don't be that there. guy. Don't be that guy. Ooh, don't be that guy. All right. Enough on that. All right. So the next tip that we want to bring to you, uh, a little bit more practical than you know, the, the fuzzy discussion about how to address your wealth. Uh, so this one is what to do uh, while you are traveling and you're receiving that per diem. We, uh, Reed and I, we rec- recommend that you get as much room as you are allowed. Get something that is actually going to meet your needs. Don't try to save and you know, live in a closet in an Airbnb thinking that you're going to uh, be able to pocket some of that money that's allotted to you for getting a, a room, getting a place to stay. Don't do that because... When you have to go submit your voucher, you will have to submit your receipts that will show the amount that you actually spent on that room and and the amount that you are reimbursed for will be adjusted uh, to what was actually spent for that accommodation. Yeah, exactly. Find out what the rate is and stay at or under that value, pure and simple. But don't stay, like you said, bottom market. Um, Also, don't go over it because you're going to have to pay the difference. Yep, exactly. And then when it comes to food, this is someplace you can try to save a little bit of money because the amount they give you for food is a locked in amount. It's set and that's going to come to you whether you ate out every night at the Ritz or whether you ate ramen in your hotel room. So if you do want to save a little bit of money, 
try to find a grocery store and maybe get a room with a small kitchenette. That's some way you can save a little bit of money. I wouldn't recommend eating ramen for every meal though. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> that, that being said, I have known to go poor college student on long TDYs to try and save up for some nice memento or something. Oh, yeah. But don't make choices that are going to impact your health and your ability to serve effectively just so that you can save a couple of dollars. 100%. And, and don't forget, right? These TDYs are some of my favorite experiences in the military. So make some memories. Go out with the folks that you're with. Have a great time. So another tip and trick is we need to be aware that the public knows and is watching that we are spending their taxpayer money. They see that and they recognize it and you need to recognize it as well. Go ahead. I have to you know, push back on that just a little bit. I don't know that many people do know how the military is compensated, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to do this episode. But I do think that when it finally comes up and they think about it and they're like, huh, how much are we spending on the military? How does that work? That's fair. So I'm going to be a little bit more nuanced. Yes, I don't think people recognize that individual members' salaries are paid for in that fashion. What I'm talking about is our military activities. People absolutely recognize that when they see a large aircraft carrier, that is their tax dollars, and they absolutely recognize that. Case in point, a recent football game, Troy Aikman and Joe Buck complained on air about a flyover, something that they perceived as a waste of taxpayer money. This was likely a hot mic incident. There's still some debate about whether or not they were actually complaining, and that's not either here nor there, and neither is the fact that this is a rare win-win. We're not going to talk about that today, but what we are talking about is that American people recognize that our military activities are paid for by their tax dollars. And I think we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware that not everybody is a fan of how their taxpayer money is being spent on the military. Hello, Boston Tea Party. Money and taxes is a sensitive topic. Has been since the founding of our nation. So just be aware. That's all I'm, uh, that's all I'm saying, right? Be aware that this can be a sensitive issue for the public. Yeah, it's a good point. And so on that note, let's talk about Veterans Day. And how we began this episode with members of the military or veterans going to various retailers or restaurants or other locations to get a deal, to get a free hamburger or a new TV or grill or something like that. Americans are going to see you either in your uniform or when you ask for that military discount, that's going to trigger some sort of recognition in them that you are a member of the military and that they should respond to that in some way. Yeah. And this is something that people have a lot of different opinions about it, right? Like I tend to be a little hesitant to ask for discounts at locations. It's something that's always, I feel weird about but I don't when I'm buying something big. If it's like clearly advertised that a big box retailer of department store goods such as a Home Depot or Lowe's is offering a military discount and I'm going to buy a fridge for two grand, yeah, I'm going to ask, right? But I feel a little bit weird sometimes at a small mom and pop deli store. It's, it's a mixed bag for me. It's something I struggle with and I, I think about. I don't struggle with it. I always ask the question, just a simple, do you have a military discount? And if they say no, fine, that's their choice. 
But yeah, I don't have any issue with asking. Yeah. And like I said, everybody's on a different place on this spectrum. And this leads me to a tip and trick I wanted to talk about. It is really offensive to me when I see veterans demanding special treatment because of their veteran status. These are gifts given by the American people of their own free will and choice in order to recognize the service of the men and women at arms. Don't you dare demand this of them. They don't owe you anything. This is something they choose to do. These are people that we are serving. We are serving them. And if they choose to serve us back, that is really kind. Sorry. Ooh, I, yeah, I don't even want to go into more detail. But just don't demand special service because of your veteran status. If it is offered, absolutely take advantage of it. But don't demand it. Man. Ooh. Yeah. What I want to add to this is the American people don't often get a choice in how much of their tax dollars are taken from them and then how that is spent. So give them the choice on whether or not they're going to provide you further discount or further special treatment with respect to retail items or meals or something along those lines. Let the people make their choices on how and when they want to serve members of the military because they are already serving you by paying for you. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Okay, my temperature is coming down, heart rate is slowing. Okay, so uh, next one, something to think about. The base exchange and the base commissary, these are places to get groceries and other goods on installations. These can be really good options for members. Depending on where you live, you can save a significant amount by shopping at these locations. Yeah, that Uh, definitely was the case while I was stationed in the Washington, D.C. area. Super expensive grocery-wise. Doesn't quite qualify for cola, but one of the ways that we were able to save money is by shopping at the on-base commissary. Yep. So these locations are tax-free, which is awesome. So that's another thing to think about. And again, like Colin said, depending on where you are, when we were in Hawaii, this is the only way a second lieutenant can rub some nickels together in Hawaii. The difference in in cost was significant. And so it's really nice option. $7 for a gallon of milk or something. Yeah, off base. It was pretty ridiculous. All right. Well, Colin, I think that about wraps it up for this week. Again, there's so much. We could so much. We, we could be here forever answering, diving into all the different pays and allowances and the tips and tricks on how to best set yourself up financially to succeed throughout the course of your career. But that all being said, all the information is out there publicly available. We invite you to take a look at the links in the show notes, get smart on this and help your airmen and fellow officers to get smart on it as well. But The big principles here that I think uh, we want our audience to take away is that you should recognize where your money comes from, where your compensation comes from. It comes from the the American people, and you should be gracious in uh, thanking them for that. You should do the best that you can to earn every dollar that uh, is paid to you, whether it's your base pay, whether it's an allowance, whether it's a part of your incentive for your career field, earn every single dollar and then continue to be gracious in not flaunting your wealth, but also not being the penny pinching Ebenezer Scrooge who is unwilling to be a blessing to other people around you. Yeah, totally agree. You know, Colin, we have mentioned that 
pay isn't something people talk about, but a lot of these little pay allowances and compensation things are talked about. At least they have been in my experience. I learned most of this with armchair accountants who'd done a bunch of TDYs and like, oh, hey, did you know you qualify for this? Fill out this form. Get. I remember the first time you and I met Colin, we were gone at a training. It was seven weeks long. And one of the first days, one of our counterparts was like, hey, you guys know you can file for family separation, right? And we're like, what's that? Exactly. Didn't even know that was a thing. And so this kind of stuff is talked about. There's always going to be that armchair accountant, that member who's, this is a big thing for them. So you can get some of this on the job. So recommend trying to either be a source for others or finding that person in your unit. Absolutely. If you have any further tips and tricks for members of the military, or if there are other pays and allowances that you want to highlight to members of our audience or to us, or if you have additional questions, please join us in the Heritage Room at airforceofficerpodcast.com. And you can also send those same things to us on social media or to our email, airforceofficerpodcast at gmail.com. And we'd be happy to engage further with you on this topic. And go ask finance. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Final plug. Thank you, Reed. Yep, absolutely. All right. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Commission Ed. Mm-hmm.